When I pray about this, I, I can see in the spirit, it's like there's a crack in the earth and it goes right through Israel. Yeah. And on one side is evil and the other side is good. everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we have another special guest joining us today. Uh, Ken, I'm really excited about this because we've been talking a lot about it. I know we're even engaged in a fast that will be uh, Israel-focused. Um, and so, Ken, why don't you take us and introduce today's guest for us? Yeah, I'm really excited to have on the show today Ron Cantor. He's the president of Shalanu TV, which is Israel's only 24 by 7 Hebrew speaking gospel television station. Uh, Ron is a Messianic believer. He lives in Israel. He's coming to us from Virginia right now. And we've got to keep our broadcast tight and compressed today because he's got to run out of the, uh, I guess that's a basement or something where he is recording in Virginia to catch a plane back to Israel. Uh, but Ron, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Ken. It's good to be with you guys. So uh, you were supposed to have been on the show a, a few weeks ago, and I can't remember now when it was three or four weeks ago, and you got called to a meeting in uh, in Jerusalem at the Knesset, I think it was, to meet with the government, and they were showing some of the pictures of the atrocities. Um, I, I want to get to that, but before we do, I always start out with our listeners learning about our our uh, speakers. So uh, tell us about Shalanu and how you got into that. How, how did that come about? Well, Shalanu TV, uh, Shalanu is a Hebrew word. It means ours. And so we have a, this TV channel that is called ours because we're saying that Yeshua, who he's one of us. He, he came from Israel. It's awesome that the nations get to receive him, but, but the gospel is to the Jew first. So we're, we're trying to reclaim the Jewishness of Jesus in the way that we present the gospel so that it's a similar message that the apostles would have preached in Jerusalem. It came about in uh, 2019, I got a text from one of the executives of Hot Cable Company, which is our largest uh, TV provider in Israel. And they offered us a channel, uh, God TV, I should say, I'm the uh, regional director for God TV in Israel. And they wanted God TV in English on hot. And I said, I'm not interested. And they said, why not? And I said, well, um, I'm not going to pay you $600,000 a year so I can speak in a language that most of the country doesn't understand. And, and they're not going to listen or even find her channel. I said, but if you let me do it in Hebrew, I would be interested. And to my surprise, I thought that would be the end of the conversation, but he, he was ready to do it. And make a long story short, a year later, we birthed on cable TV, uh, the first time ever, the gospel was going forth in Hebrew. N not that a lot of people were watching it, but we were on, you know, there was just something prophetic about that. Uh, it never had happened, you know, on actual TV. So within a week, the, you know, once the religious community got wind of it, uh, it was all hell broke loose against us. Myself and God TV CEO Ward Simpson, we were on uh, 200 or 300 different headlines around the world. Um, it was right when people were wearing masks because of coronavirus. So, um, and my face is on the internet everywhere. So I was very compliant when it came to wearing masks. I was happy to not be recognized. Um, but as I suspected, we got kicked off the air, not by the government, that would have been illegal, but 
the government pressured the cable company that it wouldn't be to their advantage to keep us on. And so they, they dropped us. They tried to keep us. They were really, really great. Um, but three hours after we were kicked off the air, we were on back on the air uh, digitally on Shalano.tv. And we've been there for three and a half years. Um, we, and not last year, but the year before, we created over 300 different uh, videos in Hebrew. And we work with the local Messianic community to create content. Um, we don't take content from America and just dub it over in Hebrew. We want them to hear uh, Hebrew. We want them to hear Hebrew pastors, evangelists, and and everyday Messianic. You're sharing their testimonies, their music. We do interviews, um, and uh, it's it's pretty exciting. We have we've had some we've seen some pretty neat things. Um, you know, one one of the probably most exciting things is rabbinical students uh, calling us up or texting us and asking us to send them Hebrew New Testaments. And and they say, you can't, don't send it to my house. You, you got to send it by private courier. They want to read. They're interested. And, um, and, and I'm not going to lie to you. We're not seeing revival. Israel's, it's a tough area to share the gospel, but we are seeing fruit. We, we see people come to faith. We send out about 20 to 30 New Testaments a month. I wrote a book called Identity Theft, which is about how Jesus was the first victim of identity theft. They turned him from a Jew into a non-Jew, and, uh, and, and then they persecuted the Jewish people, the church, that is. And um, so we translated that to Hebrew. We send about 20 to 30 of those out every week, and that is Shalano TV. I love that on so many levels, but one of the things that I've been saying for um, a while now is I actually think I'm going to spend essentially the rest of my life uh, working on helping people understand the essential Hebrew nature of Christianity. And, you know, it's not actually a surprise, so I don't want to make this sound like a condemnation, but, you know, in 20 centuries, um, because essentially the Gentiles took control of the gospel through the form of the church, um, nothing wrong with the church, but the church uh, has has substantially gentilized the gospel. That's not really a word. I made it up on the fly, but but I think we all know what I mean by right. it. And as a result, we, we just have to have a recovery of those Hebrew roots. And, you right. know, for you to be preaching the gospel and bringing the gospel in Israel, in Hebrew, in a Hebrew form, recognizing the unique aspects of Hebrew culture um, in a way that only someone who's a native, uh, you know, Hebrew speaker, Jewish person, uh, people like that can bring. I, it's fantastic that there's such a TV station. It can only grow. I mean, this has been one of the big ways that evangelism has happened over the last several decades. First radio, later TV, now on the internet. Yeah. Amen. All right. So um, you're getting ready to fly back to uh israel i was going to ask about just life in in the country sure. what how, how is a plane supposed to land in tel aviv with rockets flying in is there any risk of a rocket hitting an inbound airliner or how, how does that work uh, i would say it's a minimal risk um we are uh we're definitely in the line of fire at, at some of the hamas's long-range rockets uh but thus far i mean they've never hit a plane so uh, there are planes flying all day long. All the major airlines, American Delta, they canceled all their flights. United, I'm flying in on El Al. 
Um, they've never hit, they would love to hit an airplane. They've never hit one. I flew in uh, the second to last war with Hamas was in May 2021, I think. And I literally flew in, I landed as war, the, the, literally as they declared war on Israel and started firing rockets. They almost diverted our flight to Elot, which is our southern port, uh, about three hour car drive from the airport. Um, but I'm 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 not nervous. Uh, they flights run all the time. So far, we've been safe. Thank God. Wow. Okay. Well, good. Glad to hear that. Um, so, other than possible flight diversions, what's life been like in Israel in the roughly two months since this Hamas war began? Do you have a story or two that you might want to share to illustrate that? Yeah. It's it's been uh, different. Uh, very, very different. We have just gone through a year of unbelievable divisions within society. Uh, some even said that we were possibly on the verge of a civil war, and I won't go into all the details about that, but there are political issues. Uh, and and I've never seen Israel so divided. And it was discouraging for me, not, not as an evangelist, but just as a citizen of Israel. Yeah. Um, you just hate to see that. And then October 7th happened out of the blue. It, now, it shouldn't have happened out of the blue. We, there's no excuse for us not uh, acting on the intelligence that apparently we did have. Uh, but we apparently just didn't take Hamas seriously enough. But after October the 7th, everybody, I mean, within 10 seconds, everyone forgot about the division. And um, the society came together and began to help each other and began to serve each other. Um, there was an immediate call up of hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And this is important for folks to understand. We don't have an army of like when you think of a U.S. Marine, you know, he's a tough guy. You know, he works out. He is into guns. You know, it, the Israeli army is a people's army. It's the computer geek down the street. It's it's the nurse that you, you know, you were at the hospital the other day or at the doc it's everybody so when there's a call up you know these are people that train once a year for about a month and they're just everyday people that's why we'll never have a military takeover in israel because we are the military everyone <laughs> my wife is the military they didn't let me in my wife is a native born israeli so she went through military service my my three daughters so uh, and then the people support in, in, in times of war, there really is no left, there's no right, there's just we are Israel. And um, it was beautiful to see how people, not just the soldiers, but people poured into the South to support the soldiers, you know, whether and they bring in coffee and underwear. I took a, a, a mother of a soldier, we went to the grocery store, we spent several thousand shekels uh were and bought every kind of junk food and coffee and tuna and rice and just for her son's unit and we've been doing all all kinds of stuff but when we landed in Israel we were in France on October 7th we were driving up from uh, or down from uh Geneva to Marseille where I was going to be ministering that night and the next morning and I remember waking up and Ilana, my wife, she told me, you know, there, there's some rocket fire, which for us, that's like saying it's Wednesday. You know, it's it's not something we're not used to. So we didn't really un understand the nature of what was happening. And then as we get in the train, half hour later, 
we start hearing reports of terrorists actually in the country. So we're thinking 10, maybe 20. And then you start hearing of deaths and you start hearing of kids. But in our, in our minds, we couldn't even fathom the numbers until I think it was the next day that we began to understand that it was over. I remember hearing that it was 35 hostages and being shocked. Turns out it was 246. And in thinking that just a few Israelis were killed, turned out it was 1,200. So as a nation, we, we you know we were just broken. We finally got back on the 13th. Um, it was the first flight we could get get back to Israel, and we went straight from the airport to a Shabbat dinner for soldiers. A lot of the southern neighborhoods they turned into army bases because you you got to feed hundreds of thousands of of, of soldiers. So we literally went from the airport to uh, my sister-in-law's neighborhood where they had hundreds of soldiers and we just started hanging out there every night, helping, serving, feeding uh, our ministry. We did a big cookout and our ministry paid for all the uh, the drinks for the soldiers. And, you know, you asked, you know, a story. I'll, I'll tell you this one story. When I look at Hamas and I just see the, the, the evil nature how they re and I saw the footage as you you mentioned earlier. Only uh, probably less than a few thousand people have actually seen this footage. When I saw it, it was probably a few hundred. Now I know some other journalists around the world have. But these savages rejoiced as they cut body parts off of people, as they raped women, as they beheaded people. They rejoiced. It was the greatest day of their lives. One guy, and I, I listened to the phone call in Arabic, he, he took the phone of a woman she had he had just killed, and, she, and he had killed a husband too, and he called home to celebrate with his parents. And he is just beyond, I can't even imitate his joy. I killed 10 with my own hands. He's so happy. And the, the mother says, God bless you, my son. I wish I was there with you. So... You're you're not dealing when people see the images on TV and they they're, they're these poor people. Well, I, I'm sure there are poor innocent Palestinians who have died, and that that's horrible. It breaks my heart. War is hell. Someone once said it, it it's it's ugly. It's dirty. I would prefer peace, but Hamas and those who support them, it it it's savagery. It's demonic. Yeah. So we came to this neighborhood that become became an army base and we did this big cookout it's 500 soldiers there these are the people that are going to go into into gaza in about a week and they're going to defend israel over what happened on october 7th there was not one mention of hamas nobody talked about revenge for hours we sang hebrew songs we danced we ate we they're singing songs of faith. Some of them are religious. Some of them are atheist. But they under it's just a completely different character than our enemy. And, and I really do believe, Ken, that this battle right here is a battle between good and evil. I, yeah. I don't think Israel's perfect. I live in Israel. Believe me, it's not perfect. But it, it represents humanity. And the other side represents something very dark and destructive. So I think you're saying something that is really needing to be underscored. And I was actually thinking about this, you know, before we started this podcast, as I was you know, getting dressed this morning, um, that 
I don't I don't want to overstate this, but neither do I want to omit saying it. What we're really dealing with is a clash of civilizations and worlds. Yes. And yes. you know, on the one hand, we've got what we might call the Western tradition, which is fundamentally rooted in Judeo-Christianity, even though we have drifted from it, but it's still kind of the superstructure that the whole thing rests upon. And it includes ideas like free speech and toleration and women's rights and even gay rights for that matter. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that are right. embodied by that. And then we've got the Islamic tradition, which there are some Muslims that are maybe what we would call more moderate, but they're not really living to the what the Quran itself espouses. And what we see in a lot of these kinds of societies, and it's not only Hamas, Hezbollah is another form of it, uh, Islamic Jihad's another form, but ISIS was another form of it. Um, what we saw with the Taliban is another form of it. This Iran. is in toleration, violence, coercion, um, suppression of women, suppression of minorities. And we could add, the, add other things to the list. But really what we have to say to people is which vision of reality do you want to live in? Because it really is that stark of a difference. Yeah. I, I And when I pray about this, I, I can see in the spirit, it's like there's a crack in the earth and it goes right through Israel. Yeah. And on one side is evil and the other side is good. And by good, I, I define that the way you just did, which is Western civilization. If we don't agree with everything that goes on, but there is a toleration. There is a freedom. There's an exchange of ideas. The ironic thing is some of the people who supposedly champion that end up feeling sorry for Hamas, even supporting Hamas. And, and embracing anti-Semitic tropes. That's kind of the crazy thing that we're seeing on American college campuses uh, right now, which is many of those same people would be killed on their first day in Gaza if they lived the same lifestyle. You know, for I saw a, a, a poster, Queers for Palestine. And listen, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate homosexuals. I don't hate Arabs. I, I, I want God's love to be in me for all of those people. But if you are a queer for Palestine, there's really not a place for you in Palestine, not in the West Bank and not in Gaza. You yeah. will have all of your rights as a homosexual, as a lesbian taken away. You will not live the free life that you have in America in Gaza. You may not even live a life because you could find right. yourself dead. Um so, you know, I'm thinking about what you were sharing, and I this this psalm has been rolling around in my head for weeks since this all began. It's Psalm 120, and uh, uh, it's one of the songs of ascent, and it says, Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the ten tents of Kedar. Um, so these Meshech and Kedar today are Islamic lands. Uh, we could go into a whole Bible study, but we don't have time for that. But he says, my soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Mm. And I think that's wow. the reality that, that Israel is facing right now. It's been a point of intercession for me as we've been uh, praying through all of this. Um, anyway, so I, the point is, I think this kind of thinking it goes back a long way because, you know, this, this was written like, you know, in the days of David. And so this is like 3000 years ago, this has been an ongoing dynamic. And, and we as believers are called to be peacemakers 
And with that, we want to see God's peace on the earth, not this sort of, you know, violent, vile war making that's been going on. All right. Well, um, so uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, functioning under rocket fire. um, But and there's been, as you said, sort of this ongoing low level of rocket fire to 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 those who live in america it's kind of weird to hear people say that i mean you do have the iron dome it shoots a lot of those those rockets down but the idea that at any moment an air raid siren could go off and one might land in your neighborhood you know we interviewed dan juster i don't know three weeks ago i guess um and he was talking about how one landed near his home one block away now that's getting really close that's not just you know something landed in the country so i live in ashkelon dan dan god bless him lives in mivacera which is next to jerusalem so they get they just get a few rockets and 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 it is no matter again just one rocket landing near your home is just something that my american mind doesn't process well you know i grew up here till i was 38 but uh in Ashkelon, we get thousands and thousands and thousands of rockets. Uh, we only moved there in March. So it's, we're coming up on a year, but we moved there to be close to, it's, I guess, the Lord's sense of humor, but to be close to my mother-in-law, who's who's not well, 84 years old. And when the war broke out, they took her to, to Tel Aviv and put her in a nursing home for protection, but they, they left us in Ashkelon. And it is a strange thing, Ken. It is... Um, I can't even explain it. God gives grace. Like, I'm just never afraid. The only time I'm really afraid is when I'm not uh, in a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, my wife and I were leaving my mother-in-law in, in, at her nursing home, and sirens began to go off. The sirens tell you you've got a minute. If you're in Tel Aviv, you've got a minute to get to cover. If you're in my city, you've got about 20 seconds in Ashkelon. And so we were, we were next to a field. We had nowhere to go. Me, my wife, and my daughter. That is scary. When you get out of the car, you get on the ground and you're waiting. And like I said, it's 20 seconds in Ashkelon, but in Tel Aviv, and they must've sent 30, 40 rockets because it was, it was like three minutes of sirens and it felt like three hours. Like I am praying and I'm praying and they're not these faith filled you know, I feel the presence of God type prayers. They're just, they, they were scared. I was scared. Yeah. And um, and it just, it seemed like eternity. But when I'm in Ash, when I'm in my home, we have a safe room. 40,000 people in Ashkelon do not have safe rooms. So when these uh, uh, sirens go off, they will, off, if they're in an apartment, they'll go to their stairwell. Um, which again, if it's the middle of the night, you're in your pajamas, it's it's a little weird. Um in our, we, we live in a newer home, so we do have our own safe room, which which can withstand a Hamas rocket. Uh, but I often, my wife and I will often see, um, so on the t- if you're watching TV, the news, no matter what you're watching, you, you can even be watching YouTube on your smart TV, and you will see the, um, it will list the different cities that are being targeted as rockets are coming in. Uh, so we can see that rockets are coming into other cities, but if it was in our city, we'd hear a siren. So I'll go out to my balcony, no, because I'm not hearing a siren, and I will I will watch the Iron Dome in Ashdod, which is about 10 miles north, and I will watch the Iron Dome, and it just goes up, and then it disappears, and then it takes out the Hamas rocket. 
and um it's just a strange way to live life it's a, like if you had told me in my 20s that i would be living 10 minutes from a war zone i i, I just couldn't even fathom that but yet i do and, yeah. and there's grace to be there. It's where God has called us. Well, you answered one of the questions I was going to ask, which is, what do you do when you're not near a safe room? What do you do when you're in a car, which is not a bomb proof? I mean, I guess you could try no. to crawl under it, but, you know, some cars are pretty low to the ground and, you know, maybe you can't even really get underneath the car. No, you, you got to get away from your car because what happens is uh, a rocket hitting a car turns into shrapnel. Oh, right. Okay. And, and so what they tell you to do is they tell you to, if you have nowhere to go, uh, get, uh, I'm always cognizant of where South is. No matter where I am in Israel, I'm always knowing if I'm going for a bike ride, I'm always there, there, you know, and, and, and so if a rocket goes off and I'm say on my bike, I would jump off my bike and I would run to a building that is facing South and I would get as close to that building as I could and get on the ground. Um, you know, funny story. This was right before we left for America. I was, I was riding my bike. Uh, we hadn't had sirens for a few days, so I felt safe. And, um, and suddenly I just to let you know, the mentality of some Israelis, the sirens go off. You can hear the, 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 or see the iron domes going up. So I just jumped off my bike. I got on the ground face down next to a, 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 a wall. And I'm, I turn on my camera because, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a reporter at heart. And, you know, you, 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 sirens are going off. And then there's a guy on the other side of the street. He's jogging and he's just going to keep jogging. So here I am. I'm, I'm not terrified, but, it, but I'm on the ground and I'm taping myself. And he's just like, I don't care. I'm over it. I'm running. I'm exercising. If it's going to hit me, it's going to hit me. And and that is the mentality of a lot of Israelis. Like, you know, I've, I've been through this enough. I don't care anymore. Um, uh, I, I I like to be in a safe pace, place personally. Uh, yeah. So you never get used to it, but you do get used to it. But here's what I was saying uh, about the shrapnel. So we went to a school. We just bought 15 computers for this school for their uh, 15 underprivileged kids that don't uh, that are now studying on Zoom because all right. the Ashkelon schools are home. And the principal took us to the school and she showed us where a rocket hit in the backyard. And it's not the rocket that you're, obviously if the rocket hit you, you would die. Yeah. But when it hits, all the windows that were within a hundred feet were blown out. And then it showed there was this thing that the kids climb on and it looked like somebody had taken a machine gun because when it hits all the shrapnel, fly, it's like a machine gun. And it's it's lethal. And so a lot of people that do die from rocket fire, it's not from being hit by a rocket. It's the shrapnel. That's why they tell you to get face down and, and cover your head. So these rockets are perhaps a little longer range, but they function essentially as an artillery shell would, which is yes. designed to, to fragment and create, you know, metal shards as you're moving at a high speed. Effectively, a bunch of little bullets, if you want to say it yep. that way. Uh, but they're not directed as a bullet as they just sort of go randomly as they do. But they're, they're it's a dense enough cloud moving fast enough uh, that it can penetrate, say, through a car, maybe set it on fire or cause it to become more shrapnel of its own. And and that's that's what I think people don't really understand unless they've been trained in the arts of war. 
they don't they don't quite get what this means. And, and I think it's important for people to hear that because this is what Israel's been living with for before this war started. I mean, it seems just about every day you'd hear some. Yeah, a few rockets landed in Israel. It's like, yeah, of course, this is just what you live with. And it's been an ongoing low grade conflict that Hamas has been working on until they really decided to like put their chips in the middle of the table. When we when we left Gaza in 2006, and, and, and I have to say, I was for leaving Gaza. I didn't want our soldiers there. We had 10,000 Jewish residents there. And it just, for me, it wasn't worth it. Let's leave. Maybe they'll see that as an act of goodwill. Maybe we can have peace with them. Maybe they'll see that we want peace, like the Psalm 120. We, yeah. we prefer peace. Yeah. There's no, there's no Israeli that I know that does not want peace with the Palestinians. But we left, and the, the and this is what I want your listeners to understand. Israel, the Middle East, is not America. It is a completely different mentality. Now, Israel is a Western nation, but we are in, in the Middle East, which is like the wild, wild West. Yeah. And Hamas, they don't understand things the way that you do. They don't understand, okay, Israel's strong and they're making a gesture. No, they looked at our gesture of goodwill as weakness. The only thing is you look at your, your TV screens and you see the destruction in, in Gaza. And it is, it is, you're not normal if that doesn't bother you. It bothers me. Yeah. But that is the only language they understand. They don't understand negotiations. They are still saying our goal, we're going to come back. We're going to do it again. October the 7th was just the first time. We're going to rape more. We're going to kill more. This is what they understand. They don't, anything else is considered weakness. That's the neighborhood we live in. So, and, and, and let me just say this. We, uh, we have received back over a hundred hostages. I can guarantee you that none of those hostages would be back, except for the first four that came back uh, in, in the first few weeks. None of those other hostages would have been released without the bombing. And you say, well, Ron, is it worth it though? You, you, there was so much, well, let me ask you this. Let's just pretend for a moment, just to put things into perspective uh, uh, in terms of per capita, pretend for a moment that it was Canada or Mexico that some weird cult took over their government and then 90,000 terrorists came into America because that's America's 30 times bigger than Israel. So so uh, for us, it was 3,000. That would be 90,000 terrorists in America. And then they, they killed 18,000 Americans and took over 7,000 people hostage. And let's just pretend that one of those hostages was your husband, your wife. Maybe your child who was at a party and, and they took them and, now, and they've been sexually assaulted. And now they are in Canada or, or Mexico, wherever they're underground and they're with these horrible savages. The question is, what would you not want America to do to get them back? That's would right. you be more concerned with the destruction of Canada and getting them back? No, you would be lobbying the government, bring my wife back, bring my kid back, bring my husband back. What are you doing? And sadly, these people, the only thing they understand is brute force. I wish it wasn't like that, but that is the, that's the world I live in. I think it's very important for people to hear that. And, and I'll just say this um, in sympathy with what you're saying. When 9-11 happened, of course, America went to war and a lot of people right. weren't overly happy with that 
Um, eventually that war ended up uh, continuing on in Afghanistan. And of course we withdrew from there a couple of years ago. But um, during the course of the Afghan war, there was immense destruction wrought on the infrastructure in cities of Afghanistan, right. uh, not uniformly everywhere. But um, I read a report that said over 90,000 Afghan civilians were killed during that war. The US was not targeting those civilians. They were targeting combatants called Taliban fighters. Right. But in war, there always seems to be this, it's a euphemism and it doesn't really grasp the the, ter the terribleness of it, but collateral damage. And right. so when you've got Hamas and they've consciously, intentionally, deliberately hidden all of their military assets right. in schools and mosques and underneath hospitals and all the rest of it, that, you know, the Israeli government's done a very good job, I think, of documenting what they're finding and proving right. that this is really what they're up against. Well, the U.S. killed 90,000 civilians. We didn't want to do that. We didn't seek to do that. And similarly in Gaza, I don't think Israel is looking to kill just any no. old anybody. They're looking to kill Hamas fighters. But there is this sympathy in Gaza that I think is often uh, miss, missed by Westerners also. Yeah. And, and it's not like Hamas, they're wearing uniforms that say Hamas on it. They yeah. dress like everybody else. They yeah. purposely blend in to the civilian community because yeah. they want their people to die. I've heard more than one video where Hamas leaders have said that the blood of grandmothers and children belong to them to be used for the revolution. So they don't feel guilty at all about the collateral damage. They celebrate it because they know that that the West will look upon it and frown on Israel. But the fact that so so you probably saw the images the other day of there were you know, maybe a hundred uh Gazan men's in their underwear and their hands are tied behind their back and and people in the West are like oh that it's just that's troubling it's just I, what what do you expect us to do we don't know who is Hamas and who is by the way many of those had come and surrendered many of those if you don't again it's not a nice image I'm not celebrating it I'm right. explaining that it just take we we you, you mentioned the withdrawal from Afghanistan. There was a terrorist attack in the midst of that withdrawal that killed a bunch of soldiers. Right. We don't want that to happen in Gaza. So we don't strip them to humiliate them. We strip them because they can't hide weapons if they're only wearing their underwear. And then there is an image of one guy you may have seen where he is holding his rifle in the air. He's in his underwear and he's putting it down again. And it's sad that those images got out because that is humiliating and, and they were leaked. It's not something, you know, I would, per, I, we're not trying to humiliate them. The reason the IDF does that is to protect themselves from a booby trap, from a suicide bomber pretending to, to surrender. That's what you're dealing with here. And you say, well, what if they're innocent? Well, number one, most of them aren't. 80, I, I'm, I'm coming up with this figure, but roughly 80%, they're, 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 they're Hamas. But the ones who aren't Hamas, they are vetted and they are released. It's that simple. But that the, the, the job of Israel and the soldiers is to come home one day. It's not to be so respectful that they end up finding themselves dead. If if those people have to go through a little bit of humiliation after our women were raped, our men were sexually abused, after people's heads were cut off, after limbs were cut off, I'm sorry, it's not bothering me that much. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, hopefully 
God willing, you know, there can be a decent government set up in Gaza that doesn't look at their blood as, as, as currency to be used for the revolution. Amen. That, I mean, fundamentally, that's what we need is we need regime change and we need rulers who are righteous and just and who right. respect human life. And that would include Israeli life, but it includes Palestinian life also. Right. Yeah. Well, I know you've got to catch a plane, Ron. Let me just ask you one last question before we go. A lot of times people are hearing these reports. They aren't always sure how to process them, which is why your input is so helpful. Um, but, you know, here we are in the United States. We're not facing this, at least not now. And uh, they feel powerless. And because they feel powerless, they feel hopeless. What can people do to help if they're listening to you here on our podcast? How, how do people get involved in a meaningful way? Well, there are a lot of ministries doing humanitarian aid right now. Um, our ministry, which is called Messiah's Mandate, uh, if you if you want to learn more about us, we, we, we've been sending out daily email updates. Uh, just go to roncantor.com. That's my name. But uh, we're not primarily a humanitarian aid organization. We're an outreach evangelistic organization. We have this TV station, Shalanu TV, which is a, a partnership with God TV and several is local Israeli ministries. But when when there's been crisis we shift real quick and and october 7th was the worst crisis so we shifted very quickly uh people have been unbelievably generous and we've been able to buy uh, equipment for soldiers believe it or not our, our our army was caught off guard and that's for another podcast but we weren't ready our reserved units weren't ready and they were lacking helmets bulletproof vest just just basic equipment, winter clothes. So we've been raising hundreds of thousands of dollars and we've been buying those stuff. We've been making grants to uh, communities that have been evacuated. Understand that there are hundreds of Israelis that can't go home. They had to leave their home after October the 7th and they've been living elsewhere and they, they are not allowed back home. One, because the army is is using their neighborhoods because they're right next to Gaza. It, but in many cases, there's no more home. And in like Kibbutz Beri, most of the homes have been burned down. And and so because what they did is when people wouldn't leave their safe rooms and Hamas couldn't get in, they just burned the whole house down. So there is so much carnage and, and damage. Um and it's an opportunity for us after we talked in the beginning of the broadcast about you know, the Christian anti-Jewishness for, for roughly 2000 years, here's an opportunity for Christians to say, no, 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 no. This is what Yeshua really looks like. He, he, he cares for Israel. He loves Israel. And, and a lot of believers really have been stepping up. And, and again, it's not just our ministry. Uh, a lot of different folks have been pouring finances into the South, um, taking care of the needs of people and of course, prayer is a big need right now. Please keep praying for Israel. Um, I, I don't know what the next few years, this is a huge game changer. I would say it is right up there with the six day war in terms of how the world views Israel, how we view ourselves and how we're gonna move forward because there was Israel before 1967 and then there was Israel after 1967 which is that you know we, we won in six days. We took the Sinai desert, the uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Gaza. Um, and it just changed how the world understood Israel. I think that's what we're dealing with now. Yeah. 
Um, it, it seems that way and not just with respect to Gaza, because at least the stuff I'm reading and I'm never completely sure how much of it is right on and how much of it is speculation. But there's been some talk that, look, they're going to have to go in and do something about Lebanon also yeah. since uh, Resolution 1701 is not being implemented. And who's going to implement it anyway? Who's got the power to take on Hezbollah other than the Israeli, Israeli army? Right. Well, you've got the Lebanese government there that is, you know, powerless. And, uh, the, the, you know, Lebanon just has to decide what kind of state do they want to be. Yeah. You, you can't be, you know, partly sort of kind of Western values. And then you've got Hezbollah in your government. Um, but, you know, I, let me mention this one thing before I before I go. I was watching last night the movie Golda, which is uh, uh, about the life of Golda Meir, the 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 first female prime minister, only female prime minister in Israel. And she was prime minister during the uh, 73 war, Yom Kippur war, when we were, uh, uh, came under a surprise attack that our, we had intelligence then as well, but we just didn't believe it. And um, as I'm watching this movie, she's with her war cabinet. They're deciding, you know, should we, what, what, what should we do? We know they're going to attack. Is it now? And suddenly you hear these sirens. And it was just, I'm sitting here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm watching this, I hear this. And it's like, oh my, it's just like today. Like, that's what I hear. You know, yeah. if you have, if you get a chance to watch that movie, it's, to be honest with you, it wasn't a great movie. Um, it wasn't well written and it wasn't, it wasn't the, the best, you know, Helen Moran is a tremendous actress, but it wasn't a great movie. But it gives you an idea that Israel is always living constantly with this existential threat on our borders all the time, every day, 24-7. And so I, I'm just, that was 50 years ago, last October. And it's the same today. So the same sirens, you know, people are running for cover. And um, what gives me hope is, is the prophecies. I know Yeshua is coming back. I know he's going to set up his kingdom. I know Israel is a fulfillment of the prophecies. Uh, if I didn't have that, I I might despair. I don't know how people who don't have faith continue. I really don't. Yeah. That's a really good word right there. Uh, <laughs> that's a really good word because for sure. And Jesus even said men's hearts would fail them in the last right. days. And it would because of be because of these things, wars, rumors of wars, lawlessness in government, all the things that are in the media all the time, 24 hours a day. We just hear more and more of it. It's part of what lets us know that these things are not just randomly happening. They're actually part of that end time scenario that's that's coming to fruition at this point. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, Ron, I know you've got to get going. Do you want to say a quick prayer for our listeners and then we'll let you go? Yeah, I'd love to do that. By the way, my my T-shirt, which you probably don't can't read because it's in Hebrew, but it says in Hebrew, bring them home now. So uh, normally I wouldn't wear a T-shirt for an interview, but uh we want to keep praying for that. So, Father, we thank you in Yeshua's name. We'll just start with that and and ask you to to bring the uh, other hundred plus hostages home. Yes. Uh, give give our intelligence um, agencies intelligence. Give them secret information. Uh, give them supernatural information. Yes. Father God, we pray for the people of Israel that this would be a time of soul searching. This would be a time of looking in the scriptures, of looking in the prophecies. Of, of discovering Yeshua. Uh, Lord God, we pray that this would be a time for the church worldwide to show Israel that that, that she loves her and stands with her, Lord God. Uh, Father, we thank you that 
Eternity is in your hands, O oh God, that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to fret. Our hearts will not fail, Lord God. And help that, that let that courage, let that sense of peace, let it be a witness, Lord God, to everyone we come in contact to in Israel, Lord God. I just thank you for those uh, around the world praying, those who are watching this broadcast. Hear their prayers for Israel, O oh God, in Yeshua's name. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, Ron, have a safe journey uh, back to Israel, and uh, I'll be in touch. All right. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Grant, any last comments? No, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll be right back here next week with another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. As we near the completion of 2023, we realize that some of you are in the habit of making year-end charitable donations. If you are blessed by the content on this podcast— please pay it forward and click on the donation link in the description of this episode. All donations are tax exempt and will help us continue this work of ministry in 2024. Thank you so much for your consideration. We are deeply grateful to all of our financial partners.